continue in our series as we look at a person in the Old Testament. His name is Samson. Samson. Just in that name, Samson, doesn't that sound like power, right? Doesn't sound like a punk, does it? Sounds like someone who's got power, Samson. Well, we're going to look at him, and uh, the title of the sermon is this, Samson, it's not too late. It's not too late. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we would ask right now that you would, uh, first of all, forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word, and that you would speak to your people. And we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. That you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, in high school, I played on a basketball team, and they were called the Heart Attack Kids. The Heart Attack Kids. And we got the nickname because we were known to be losing badly in the fourth quarter. But somehow, with two minutes left in the game, we'd pull out a victory, and we'd win. I remember this one time, I was, uh, we were playing a game, and we were down nine points with less than two minutes left in the game. People were literally leaving the gymnasium thinking that the game was over. And with just a few seconds left on the clock, my best friend and teammate, Randy Busick and myself, double teamed this one guy who had the basketball over in the corner of the court. We knocked the ball out of his hand, and my other teammate, Randy, I mean, Jeff Belson, grabbed the basketball, and there wasn't much time on the clock, so he couldn't set and shoot. So he just threw the ball up at the rim. And it went up and it hit the backboard and it went right straight through the bucket and the buzzer went off and we won. And the people who were left in the crowd, in, in the bleachers, came running down onto the court. Those who left the building heard the screaming, came running back in and we had a great time. Just crazy on the, on the court that night. Well, when we went into the locker room, there we were standing there before the court, before the coach and I'll never forget what he said. He looked at us and he said, you know boys, what I've learned with you guys... It's never too late. It's never over until it's over. This morning, we're going to be looking at Samson. And we're going to discover in his life, he was, if you will, in the fourth quarter of his life, and he was losing badly. But with two minutes left in the game, he repents of his sin. He turns to God, and he wins. God blesses him. He blesses him so much and forgives him that he ends up being in the Faith Hall of Fame in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And I hope this morning, as we study Samson, that we will all remember and be reminded that it's not too late. Because we're all here. That means the game is on. The game is still on. The clock is still ticking. And that means your past doesn't have to define your future. It also means this. It means perhaps until this point in your life, You've had a series of sin, mistakes, failures, and disappointments. But because you're here, that means the game is still on. And if the game is still on, the, the clock is still ticking because the final whistle has yet to blow. And that means that God has a plan for you. And if you've been in a series of sin or struggling in sin and failure and disappointment, today you have to do one thing. In order for you to turn your life around and win at the end. You've got to repent because that's what Samson did. He repented of his sin and God renewed him, restored him, and God can do the same for you and for me. He can restore us. He can renew us. He can forgive us. And he could put us back in right relationship with himself and we can continue on 
doing what all that God has created us and called us to do. Well, hopefully we'll remember that through this talk today that it's not too late. But if you'll look in the, the scriptures here, we're going we're gonna to get started and look at his life. And here it says this. The story of Samson is found in Judges chapters 13 and 16. Now that's four chapters. There's no way I can get through all four chapters. But we're going to look at different passages of the scriptures. But I'm going to encourage you to go back and look at those four chapters. And what you're going to find as you read about Samson is this. You're going to be tempted to ask, how can this guy be in chapter 11 of Hebrews? In the hall of fame of faith. Where you have David and and people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Moses, and tucked right in there is the, is the name Samson. But if you go back and you read the whole story, you're going to be tempted to think like I did. That, that guy doesn't even belong there. Matter of fact, this homeboy doesn't belong anywhere in the scriptures. I mean, you just look at his life and you begin to think, there's no way. How in the world could this guy be in the chapter where we talk about all the great men and women of faith? And the reason he's there is because he repented of his sin and he believed upon God and God blessed him so much that he's remembered in the scriptures. He's right there, tucked right in there, the name Samson. You know, Samson appears on the scene before Israel had a king in the time when God appointed judges to rule Israel and save her from her enemies. And Samson had a 20-year career as a judge. Samson starts out absolutely powerful. In chapter 13, we pick up the story in verses 3 through 5, and it says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to her, Samson's mother, and said, You're sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. Verse 5, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now it says there, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, not a Nazarene, not an Israelite, but a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Well, it tells us in Numbers chapter 6. I can't read the whole chapter for us, so let me summarize what it means. The people of Israel could could take the Nazarite vow. And what does that mean? It means four things. Number one, when a person took the Nazarite vow, he was or she was consecrated to God, number one. Number two, they, they were to be people who abstained from the drinking of wine. Matter of fact, they were not supposed to drink or eat anything from the grapevine. Number three, they were never to touch anything that was dead. And number four, they were never to cut their hair. Never to cut their hair. So Samson is a Nazarite from birth. Now that was unusual because usually people were older and then they would make, take on the Nazarite. But from his birth, the angel told his mother, you set him aside, he's mine. Samson understood this from birth. And he not only was a Nazarite, but he was also stirred by the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Judges chapter 13 about Samson in verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. In Judges 14, 19, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. Unlike today, where believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
In other words, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, you're born again of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God came and indwelt you, lives within you. And as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, then we are empowered to live the Christian life. When we're disobedient to the Holy Spirit, not that we lose our salvation, but we lose the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, and we go back to our old selves. We go back to our physical strength only. And that's not good. But when we repent and ask God to forgive us, then the Holy Spirit empowers us again to live the Christian life. That's called sanctification. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He lives within us today. But in the Old Testament, back in those days, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for special occasions and only on certain people. And Samson was one of those people. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, and he was given superhuman strength. He was like Superman or Hercules. Now, they're fiction, but here is Samson, and he is truly given superhuman strength by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, the first time we see the power of Samson demonstrated in the scriptures is when a lion comes after him, and he literally takes the lion and tears that lion apart with his own bare hands. Imagine that. Hey, guys, could you imagine that? Tearing a lion apart with your own hands. But another time, he would, took a jawbone of a donkey and he wiped out a thousand Philistines just himself. A thousand. On another occasion, he took off the very gates of Gaza. Gaza was a city of the Philistines. And this, these gates aren't the gates like in the front of your house, right? These are gates that are huge. Caravans go in them. They are the gates that protect the city. He, lit he literally lifted these gates up in their poles, and scholars tell us he went 40 miles carrying these gates, went up a hill, stuck them in the ground facing Hebron. Now, the reason he did that, he was slapping the faces of the Philistines. He was like mocking them when he stuck that in the ground at, on, the, on the hill facing Hebron. Don't have enough time to explain all that, but just trust me on that one. And here he is. You see great Great things going on in his life. Miraculous strength. Samson's remembered for his strength. But while his feats, if you will, are legendary, it is his flaws that prove to be fatal. It is his flaws that prove to be fatal. You see, Samson had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon him. But he lived for the appetites of the flesh. He was strong before, before men, but women were his weakness. He fought the Lord's battles by day, but he, at night, broke the laws and commandments of God. He was Israel's hero. He was Israel's hero, hero, but he ended up a slave for the Philistines. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how could that happen? How could this great man with all that strength, end up a slave for the Philistines. He slayed 1,000 with a jawbone of a donkey. How could that happen? Well, let me say this to you. It didn't happen just overnight. It just didn't just happen. He didn't run into Delilah one day, and all of a sudden his life unraveled. It didn't just happen suddenly. It happened gradually. See, Samson made a series of choices, a series of choices that compromised his vows and his commitment to God. Compromised his vows and his commitment to God. And I want to look at those series of choices 
And I hope that we will learn from Samson so that we will not make the same mistakes. It all starts in chapter 13, and his parents taught him the way of the Lord. Without a doubt, taught him the way of the Lord. Samson understood his Nazarene vow. He understood how it connected to him and his relationship with God, and how it was connected to his calling, that he was to deliver the people of Israel. He was to begin the deliverance. David, by the way, ends up really delivering them from the Philistines, but David begin, I mean, but Samson begins it. But yet, as soon as he becomes an adult, he begins to compromise his vows in his commitment to God. In chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, it says this. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, and now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In verse 1, it says, he went to Timnah. Now, Timnah is, the, is a town or a city, a small town city, of the Philistines. Who are the Philistines? The enemies of who? Israel. So he's hanging out with the enemies. And when he's there, and you look at verse 5, it says that this city or town was known for being famous for its vineyards. For its vineyards. Remembering, remember, one of the conditions of the vow is not to partake of the fruit of the vine. Now, I'm not saying that he's drunk wine or eaten anything from, the, from grapes. We don't know that. But the first step towards sin is being in the wrong places. The first step towards sin is being in the wrong places. Hear me. We need to be careful where we go on Friday and Saturday nights. We need to be careful that we don't end up in the Timna area, or out in the grapevines. I remember Coach Tomlin addressing the Pittsburgh Steelers one day after practice, and he said, hey guys, don't get fired on your days off. In other words, be careful where you go on Friday and Saturday nights. Well, Samson was going to all the wrong places, which leads us to the second step that caused him or really brought him to his demise. And that second step is when you're hanging out in the wrong places, it's a matter of time that you begin to hang out with the wrong people. You're in the wrong places, you end up hanging out with the wrong people. And here when he's in Timnah, he sees what? A Philistine woman. And once he sees this woman, he sees this foxy Philistine and he goes over and he says to his mom and dad in verse 2, I have seen a Philistine woman. Verse 2, go get her for me. Now, why does he need his mom and dad? Well, they couldn't date in those days. Their marriages had to be arranged, so he he needed his mom and dad. But he's not asking his mom and dad. He's telling his mom and dad, you go get her for me. Gives you a little insight into this arrogance of this young man. So he says, you go get her. And then it says in verse 3, she's the right one for me. Literally what he's saying in the Hebrew is this, she is right in my eyes. That gives you a tremendous insight, crucial insight into Samson's life. He is purely motivated by physical appearance. He has a problem with the lust of the eyes. So he's going to the wrong places. He's hanging out now with the wrong people, which which led him to the wrong actions. Now, the Israelites were supposed to stay separate from the pagan nations, 
that separation was designed to protect their commitment to God. Samson absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt because of Exodus chapter 34, verse 16, which was the law of Moses, that he was not to marry a Philistine woman. He knew it. They weren't supposed to be mingling in any way, shape, or form. Do, do we know, do we remember that we as believers have a mandate? And that mandate is this, that we are not to be unequally yoked. We as believers are not to marry unbelievers. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for, do, for what do righteousness and wickedness, wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? In other words, what God is saying here is that when two people get married, you begin to mix. And you mix what? Your mind, your hearts, your bodies, and your spirit. If you are one of the living God, if you are born again of the spirit of God and you know the living God, and the other person is not, and their spirit is dead, he's saying you're going to have spiritual conflict. That's wrong. Absolutely in the scriptures, not to be done. Well, Samson knew this, and so did his parents. And his parents tried to help him understand what you're doing is wrong, but he didn't want to take their counsel at all. So over, it tells us, while Samson is traveling with his parents to make the wedding arrangements, he goes into the vineyard. Again, he goes into the vineyard. And what happens? That's when the lion comes out, runs at him, and he takes the lion and he rips it apart. Many scholars believe that that lion showed up as a warning to Samson, trying to tell him, you're going in the wrong places, hanging out with the wrong people, Samson. Well, we'll never really know that till we get there. But he tears it apart, but it says this in verse 6. It says, he told neither his father or his mother what he had done. Hmm. You know what I found? I found young people, listen, and us as, us as adults. Young people, when you start, stop, or when you don't tell your parents what you're doing, and we as adults don't tell our spouses what we're doing, most of the time, it's because we've already compromised. What it says here in the verses, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey. While he scooped out, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along, when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some. And they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why? Because he knew that he had already broken the vow. The Nazarene vow says that he wasn't to touch a dead carcass. So he knew what he had done. He knew he had broken the vow. And that's why he doesn't tell his parents. So it all ends up in chapter 15. At the very end of chapter 15, this is what it says. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now take a moment and think about that. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We tend to run that story right into Delilah. And we think it all fits together. But right here, there's like a pause in Samson's life. And what God is basically saying to us, he's saying, you know what? Samson got his act together for about 20 years. After all of these bad choices and decisions, he got himself together, and then he had a pretty good career until chapter 16. 
Chapter 16, it says this in the very first verse. One day Samson went to Gaza and he saw a prostitute and he went in and he spent the night with her. After 20 years, he goes right back to the same trap. He goes to the wrong places. It says he goes to Gaza. I already told you Gaza is a Philistine city. So he's hanging out with who? The enemy. And he's hanging out with the enemies and now he's in the red light district. He's down at the red light district and he sees a prostitute. So he's with the wrong, in the wrong places and now with the wrong people, which leads him to the wrong actions. And what does he do? It says he went in and he spent the night with her. Samson had a woman problem. He had lust of the eyes for sure. Let me remind us as Christians, we are only to have sex inside of marriage, not before marriage, not with anybody after we're married to that one person. We're not to have sex with anybody else. To do that is sin. Samson knew it. But now he's with the second woman, which leads us to the third. He continues to compromise his commitment and vows to God. And it says this in chapter 16, verse 4. And I remind you that all three women that he has now been involved with are all Philistine women. So all three of them are outside of the laws of God. Chapter 16, verse 4 says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Let me recap. Samson was infatuated with a woman in Timnah. He was filled with lust for the harlot in Gaza. And now it says that he loves the woman from Zorak. And her name was Delilah. But what Samson didn't know is Delilah was a gold digger. Delilah was a gold digger. She was more concerned with silver than she was with Samson. And she sold him out for a pretty good chunk of change. Matter of fact, the, the Philistines come to her and say, you know, Delilah, Samson is hooked on you. And we'll give you enough money to retire on if you can find out the secret of, her, of his strength. So Delilah agrees to trick him and hopefully help, you know, to get him to tell her his secret. And she asks him three times, but three times Samson tricks her. So finally the fourth time. And the fourth time she starts working him good. She comes up and she says, say, Samson, you say you love me. You love me. If you love me, you would confide in me. You would tell me, if you really love me, you would tell me your secret. And then the, the scripture says that she nagged him to death. Nagged him. Oh, a dripping faucet she was. She nagged him and nagged him until finally he caves in and he tells her everything. Now, verse 18 of our chapter says this. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and his strength left him. Verse 20, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep, thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. He woke up that day and thought, I'm going to go right back to where I was before, I, before do what I used to do. The Spirit of God had left him. He was like every ordinary man. And the Philistines came and took him. 
And we see the consequences of Samson's sin. Verse 21 is a tragic verse. This is the consequences of his sin. Then the Philistines, verse 21, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. His eyes were the things that were used to make his heart wander. And now he's left blind. Second, and they took him to Gaza. Remember Gaza? Gaza is where he was with the prostitute. And it says, binding him with bronze shackles. What it teaches us there is sin will take you into bondage. And then it says, and they set him to grinding in the prison. He's not living. He's existing, just grinding out his life. Sin will blind, bind, and grind you. And what we learn from Samson is this. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever would want to pay. But, look at verse 22. It says, but the hair on his head began to grow again. (laughs) But the hair on his head began to grow again. In other words, it's never too late. While he's sitting in the cell, he's praying to God and he realizes all that he has lost because of his sin. And he begins to repent and ask God to forgive him. And as he's repenting, his hair begins to grow back. Hear me on this. When you, what you lose because of sin, the only way that you can get it back is if you're willing to repent of your sin. You can't get back what you've lost because of sin if you don't repent. Samson is repenting. Let me help you understand how I know that this is what he was doing. In verse 25, it says this. If so happened when they were in high spirits. He's talking about the Philistines now. They were in high spirits. In other words, they've been drinking a lot of Jack Daniels that night. And they're all wiped out. And it says in the scriptures that he or they were, at least 3,000 of them were on top of the roof of this building. And then there was, scholars believe, about four to 5,000 people down in the room. And it says this. That while they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So that they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And while he's standing there before the pillars, he prays. Now, let me say this. When you read the whole story of Samson, he only prays once. And when he prays, he prays for water because he's thirsty. He never prays that the Holy Spirit would come upon him and empower him. The Holy Spirit just came upon him. But now he prays differently. You know why? Because while he's in prison, he realizes what he's done. He takes responsibility. He asks God to forgive him, and he's asking him to restore him. And this is what he says. Then Samson, on Judges chapter 16, verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me. 
just once more. In other words, make this my finest hour. And he pulls back and he pushes back on those pillars. And the Bible says that Samson brought justice to the Philistines in that one moment there more than he did in all of his life. And God takes him, restores him, and puts him in the hall of fame of faith. Right there among David, right there among Abraham, right there among Moses, tucked right in there is Samson. Why? Because it was never too late. Right then in that fourth quarter, two minutes left on the clock, he says, oh God, forgive me. He repents of his sin. His hair starts growing back. And what he's saying to God? He's saying, oh God, give it back to me one more time. Oh God, oh God, give me my strength back one more time. Maybe you're in this room today and you have been struggling and you know you're living in secrets. You know things are going on in your life. You know things are going on in your family and you're praying and you're praying and you've been saying to God, oh God, oh God, give me my strength back. Give me my peace back. Give me my joy back. Give me my hope back. Give me my victory back. Give me back the power of the Holy Spirit so that I might get over these pills, over these drugs, over this pornography, over this anger, over this hatred, over this jealousy. Give it back to me for the power of the Holy Spirit so that I might live and bring glory and honor to your name. If that's you this morning, all you need to do is do what Samson did. You need to say, Lord, here's my problem. Admit your problem. Take responsibility for it. And then confess it and repent. And repentance means that you're changing your direction. You're no longer going to go in your direction. You're going to go in God's direction. And if you will do that, if you'll change your mind and turn and turn to him, he will restore, he will renew, he will forgive you, and he He alone will bring back what the locusts and your sin has taken from you. Let me ask you this. As we close this out, I'm going to ask Keith, you come, or whoever's here, I just want you to play the piano. Anybody jump up on that piano or sing? You guys are, anything you want to do, come on up. They're going to play just a little softly, and then they're going to close out the service. There's no way you can preach a sermon like this and walk out that door. There's not one of us in this room that has it all together. Not one. Not one. Not me and not you. 20 years, this guy walked pretty good, and then he went right back into the old stuff. I don't know where you are or what you're doing, but God's given you this moment. And if you'll turn it around, you won't have to face all the consequences that Samson did. Remember Peter? He confessed his sin. No consequences. David confessed his sins after Nathan had to come to him and speak to him, and stuff happened to him. Judas lost it all. But if you're here today and God is speaking to you and you know it, just play very simply. Play the piano. And here's how it works. You're sitting out there right now and you're saying, oh God, hey, hey, Pastor Ed, we're not playing church here, guys. Don't, don't worry about the songs. Don't worry about it. Just go with me. Here's the deal. We need each other. You need, I need, we need each other. We're living in a world that wants to destroy you and me. Satan has a scouting report on every one of you. And he knows the buttons to push. 
and he wants to destroy you and your family and everything about you. Don't ever think that he doesn't. I can't tell you how important this one moment is for some of you. For this moment right here is a Y in the road. It's a fork. And some of you are going to walk out that door and God is going to bless you. And others of you will walk out that door and you're going to continue right in the same path you've been going. But it's all up to you. It was choices that Samson had to make. The choice is yours today. But God is right here. You remember the prodigal son? You remember when the prodigal came home? What did the father do? He runs to him. He embraces the, the prodigal. Did he stick his finger in his face, cross his arms, and tell him how bad he is? No, he embraced him, he loved him, and he brought him right back into the fold. That's what God wants to do for you. But there's something you've got to do. You've got to pray. With simply this piano playing behind me, bow your heads. And you do business with God. And as these folks sing to you, as they minister to you in music, you just, don't you sing unless God leads you that way. But you just pray and you turn it over to him. And I believe that God will do something special for you today.